author of these letters, and he writes them to his churches, seven churches as a matter of fact, but each of them could have our address really. This one, the second letter, is written to the Smyrnans, the church at Smyrna. It's the shortest of the letters. Let me read it to you. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the first and the last, who was dead and who has come to life, says this. Who's that speaking? That's Jesus. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the blasphemy of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but actually a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. For he who overcomes shall not be hurt even by the second death. A letter to the church. It's a letter to the church at Smyrna. Uh, Smyrna had coins in their day, and on the encryption was not in God we trust, but actually it read first in Asia. These were the guys that would do this at every home game. Uh, they, they knew that they were the best that Rome had to offer. Now, they weren't the biggest city, but they were perhaps the most cultured. Uh, they saw themselves as better than anybody else. They were Texans. That's what they were. <laughs> they, 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 they were Smyrnans, you understand? Uh, they were just a cut above. Uh, Maybe not the biggest city, but the best of cities was Smyrna. It, it, it was in a, on a high cliff, and it had its own uh, harbor just beneath it. And so ships could come into that harbor, but it was easily fortified, easily protected. No one had taken out Smyrna. No one, they were the untouchables of their day. It had been, oh, beyond the imaginations and, and the memory of anyone in their society that war had ever touched their land. Until 9-11, does that sound like anybody? Number one in the world. Smyrna's. Be faithful. Do not fear the tribulation that's to come upon you. I don't know about you, but I didn't know why it was in there then. I thought it was a downer. When you stood in front of that altar and the preacher made you say on the day that you were giving yourself to your betrothed for better or for worse. I mean, I thought, well, that's kind of a downer. This is a happy day. Let's just leave that out. But if my parents loved me, they would have said, son, that's a part of the game. Jesus loved us enough so that we wouldn't be surprised when life gets tough. What did he say? In this world, you will have tribulation, same word. You'll have troubles. In this world, you'll have tribulation. But then what does he say? But be of good cheer. Or I like the way some really say it. It's, it's not hallmark. It's, it's got grit. It's in the locker room kind of talk. He says, take courage. Take courage, for I have overcome the world. Listen, sometimes the world is bigger than us. But if we believed in Jesus Christ, the world never gets bigger than our God. 
Jesus says, take courage. This is the only letter of all the letters for which He has no words of correction for this church. Only words of encouragement. And these daunting words of forewarning. They're about to enter into a season of suffering. Let me ask you this question. Not what do you want most for Christmas, but if you could dare to frame it just for a moment until your blood kind of runs cold, what do you most not want for Christmas? Do we live in a time now where some of us pause to think about that? What's being talked about in our papers and on the news? An Islamic jihad by a nuclear Iran? What do you want least for Christmas this year? Fiscal cliffs, the ruin of which would make Greece look prosperous. And I could talk about more rumors and things that I've heard talked about over the water cooler that might get me arrested this morning. You know, I had just crazy stuff. What's next? Jesus says, what's ever next? Even if it's a trying time, even if it's a testing time, what if, what if it's not a season for our nation? What if it's just a personal season for us? You've just gotten back the pathology reports. Fear not. Be faithful. Be strengthened. Be strong. There's usually two kinds of prayers we pray when we face a time of testing. And those times usually come. I mean, they're just a part of life. Well, what prayer do you pray? Jesus prayed both of these prayers, and he prayed them just moments apart from one another. The first one is the prayer I usually pray. Father, let this cup pass from me. Huh? How many of you pray that prayer every time something daunting or threatening or life-threatening comes your way? And that's certainly what these Smyrnans were facing. They were facing a, a fierce persecution. It was bad enough just being a Christian in Smyrna. You know, as a Smyrna, you were the ultimate patriot. And so when these Christians started saying, not Caesar is Lord, but, but, but Jesus is Lord... That was like yelling boomer in Stillwater. You know, it just that did not go over well. And these Christians were being persecuted. They, they, their businesses were being overlooked. They were being ostracized at, 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 at public functions. They were thought ill of and, and rumors and talked about. And, and that was in the good times in Smyrna. And then we think this is one of those seasons where a ruler arose in Rome, Diocletian, who started killing the, the Christians, martyring them. And so, since Smyrna was the number one in Asia, since whatever they, the, the Roman ruler did, they championed, it only made sense that that same kind of persecution is about to come upon them. They're going to be thrown into prison. It's clear from this letter that some of them will give their lives in what they're about to experience what prayer do you pray I, I know what it's like to pray the prayer Lord let this cup pass from me Jesus did that the night that he was sweating the cross coming the next day in the garden of Gethsemane but he went on and this part of his prayer I don't so often pray this part of his prayer I don't often have the spiritual strength tenacity or focus to pray but Jesus went on after he said, Father, please let this cup pass from me. But he went on to say, Nevertheless, Father, not my will be done, but thy will be done. Bring glory to your name. 
bring glory to your name. It sounds like one of those Notre Dame football players putting on the Bill Gold helmet before they reach out and slap the shamrock and go out on the field. Let's give one for the Gipper. Let's get glory in how we suffer. What coach would prepare a team and practice a team and, and harness a team to, to win and then not send them out on the field on game day to be tested? This is a Lord who believes in His team. And so He forewarns them before the testing comes, be ready. Be ready and be ready to give it your all. Be faithful and be faithful to the end. A season of suffering is, com is coming but pray the whole prayer. God, glorify your name. It seems we have a choice whenever testing comes upon us. We can either fear it or we can face it. When tough circumstances are loaded upon us, we can either become embittered or we can choose to embrace it. God works even in those circumstances. He never abandons us. Even though sometimes that's the way it seems. But he says, look, I know your tribulation. And he's in the midst of it. To strengthen you to overcome. For no temptation, no testing has overtaken you, but such is common to man. And he will either provide you a way of escape or will give you the strength to stand up under it. These are his promises. Face it or fear it. I heard the story of a, of a, of a scientist one time who uh, in the spring of the year noticed a cocoon on one of the branches outside of his house and he thought he would bring it in to, to watch the, uh, uh, the makings of a butterfly. You know, and he, he noticed as it struggled there in the cocoon uh, the little grub on the inside straining to make its way out. And he thought he'd just give it a little help, you know. Took that little X-Acto knife and cut the cocoon a little bit. And, and just moments later, out flopped not a butterfly with wings that had been formed in the struggle in, in that cocoon, but a grub with no wings at all that was to crawl upon the ground the rest of its days. Could our times of testing be the cocoon where God makes of us fully what we can be. Let me, let me ask you this. When was Christopher Reeves? Remember Christopher Reeves? When was Christopher Reeves more inspiring to you? When he wore a cape or a wheelchair? Sometimes the difficult circumstances of our lives that we would curse and shun and fear and run from become those very frames in which God paints a picture of glory to His name. And it seems from this letter that Jesus is wanting to cue His people to embrace the difficult circumstances even in a different way. That we would take those on as opportunities to bring glory to His name. Not to complain or to run in fear. To doubt His presence. This letter says that we have an opponent. It's helpful sometimes to know who it is you're fighting. And sometimes we get that confused. 
We think those that we're fighting, our struggle is with flesh and blood, those that we can see rather than the one that we cannot see, our opponent. He's named right here in this letter, Satan. I'm not talking about the little caricature guy with the, with the red suit and the fork tail and the little pitchfork. I'm talking about the enemy of your soul. Jesus was very clear. There's one that you cannot see that would long to take you out. Do you know who you're fighting? Do you know who you're fighting when that spirit of strife descends upon your marriage? Do you know who you're fighting? Do you know whose victory is at stake? When your kids are in rebellion and they won't listen to you anymore and the phone just goes click every time you call, are you aware of with whom you're struggling? Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. There it is again, in the world. It'll be a test. And after you, listen, after you have suffered a little while, that's really important. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect and confirm and strengthen and establish you. A little while. That's something we got to remember when it gets really difficult. I don't care what kind of suffering you're going through, it's temporary. But your witness is eternal. Only ten days, he says, ten days you will be persecuted. There's an ending to it. Even if you go out of this world still in the fight, it's it's just temporary. I'd like to close with two two stories this morning. One is not just a story. It's actually a, a bit of history. From 155 A.D., there was a particular Christian witness in this very city to which this letter was written. He was a Smyrnan, and his name was Polycarp. Strange name. Must have had a horrible time in junior high. Polycarp. He was 84 years of age, which means if this happened in 1955, he would have been about 25 when this letter arrived in Smyrna to be read for the first time. He's now 84 years of age, and a new wave of persecution is being uh, revved up upon the church. Christians are being rounded up, those that are known for their faith and made an example of. He knew that this was happening. He could have run. He chose not to. His disciples said that one afternoon as he was taking his afternoon siesta, he awoke from his nap, and he told them of a, of a nightmare where he, where he had uh, been asleep and his pillow had caught on fire. And as he arose, his disciples stirred and turned towards him and he stared off into the distance as if he had just received a message and he said, I must be burned with fire. And he never explained it further. When the Roman officers came to arrest him, he ordered a lavish meal to be served them before they left. And he said, if you would just give me an hour to pray for strength to face whatever ahead, enjoy this fine meal. And the, 
the soldiers ate to their fill and started to leave. And one of the soldiers said, how could we deliver a death so foul to a man so good? And Polycarp said, never mind, young man, I'm prepared. I've been forewarned to be faithful. They took him to a place where he was asked to recant his faith. He said, sir, I can do nothing else than be loyal to the Lord who is loyal to me. Please, the, the officers urged him and pleaded with him, just say Caesar is Lord. What, what, what harm would it do? But he refused. And when the expositioners turned towards him and said, sir, this will be your life if you do not recant. At this very moment, he asked him one last time. And Polycarp squared his shoulders as an 84-year-old man and said, do your worst. I belong to Christ. And they took him to the place of execution. He was to be burned at the stake. The traditional way in which this was done, they were almost crucified to the stake beforehand. They were nailed hands and feet to the stake before the fires were lit so that bound to the stake, they could not run no matter how anguishing and excruciating the pain be became. And as his executioners approached him, they started to nail the nails. He was standing like this, and, and he turned and spoke to one of them, and he says, please, sir, spare me, lest those who look on think it is the nails that bind me and not the love of my Lord. And so unbound, he stood at the stake as he burned alive and breathed his last Praising his king. For faithfulness like that. For strength like that, no matter what our test becomes. Our Lord promises us, not only forewarns us, but promises us in that very moment, his grace will be sufficient for whatever we face. So redouble your resolve. Whatever is in front of you, Whatever difficult test you might face, pray not only the first prayer. It's a legitimate prayer. Lord God, let these pathology reports be turned around. May the medicine work. May the chemotherapy overcome. Yes, pray that prayer. That's a legitimate prayer. Jesus prayed that prayer. But don't stop there. Say, Lord God, if you would so live in me, no matter what my circumstances, no matter what the state of my family, what the state of my personal economy, no matter where I am, Lord God, that I would give you glory and how I live it through, given to you. There were two families of missionaries on their way back from the mission field. They'd given themselves in dedication to their Lord for decades overseas. This is a story from some time ago. They were on a huge ship coming into New York Harbor, and as they approached, there was the likings of a ticker tape parade on the shorelines, people cheering and waving their hats and throwing confetti, and they looked over the side realizing that this party was not for them. Up on the bow of the ship was President Teddy Roosevelt. He was returning from a pleasure hunting expedition in Africa. They were returning from decades of service. There was nobody there to receive them. Later on that afternoon when President Roosevelt was in one of the luxury suites of New York, 
and they were in a dirty flat that they could hardly afford. One of the missionary's wives noticed her husband was a little down. She says, honey, is something wrong? And he said, yes, actually, I'm, I'm angry. I'm angry that I would pour out my life like that for all those years. And we get no reception at all. It's just isn't fair. And his wife was wise. She knew what to do with him when he got in those kind of moods. She said, well, just go in there and talk to Jesus about it for a while. And he said, I think I will. And he walked into the other room and she could hear him yell and stomp and yell out to God, cry out to God for a while, and then that sort of stopped. And a few moments later, he walked out of the room and he had a completely different countenance about him. And she said, honey, did you hear from the Lord? And he said, yeah, I sure did. Things are going to be all right. Well, what, what on earth could the Lord have told you? And he said these simple words. Jesus said, we're not home yet. We're not home yet. But for those who are faithful, I will give the crown of life a death so foul to a man so good? Was that fair to Polycarp at the end of his life? That that would be pushed upon him? No, Polycarp didn't have to die that way. He chose to. The strength of the Christ was given us to live through us every day. No matter if today is a day of, of happiness and little cherub singing, or if today for you is a day of high stress and testing, we offer you this morning, God offers you His peace child in this world you'll have tribulation but be of good cheer take courage for I have overcome I'll be loyal to you you be loyal to me and someday I'll see you at home Lord God we thank you for your promises for your word to us through your word that always seems to come alive as a word for us in the moment. That's your living word speaking to us. Help us to hear it this morning, Lord God, to celebrate your goodness to us. Father, we pray that you'd so fill our hearts this morning that if today is a day that we need to update our commitment to you, that we'll find ourselves doing that in these very moments. If today's a day, Lord God, where we need to turn our lives from the direction it's been going to a direction walking with you, the Lord of our life, we pray that today would be that day of turning. But we pray most of all, Lord God, that today would be a day of trusting. Trusting you.
no matter what we face. May we face it in your strength, we pray. We pray even as we stand and sing this closing song as you invite us to yourself. Amen.